back into the mobile Kintech studio. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Canuck Central is brought to you by Enzyme Pacific, Vancouver's premier Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, and Jeep Superstore on 2nd Avenue between Camby and Main or at EnzymePacificChrysler.ca. We bring in our regular contributor here on Canuck Central. Every Monday he joins us. It's the legend himself, Don Taylor. Donnie and Dolly, 10 to noon on Czech TV. Uh, thanks for this, Donnie. Uh, Canucks beating the Leafs. It's uh, it's become a ritual here at Rogers Arena. Yeah, what, wasn't that entertaining? I mean, you could say what you want about you know the Leafs out shooting, arguably outplaying uh, the Canucks. Uh, goaltending certainly an issue for the Leafs, but man, that was good. And uh, today we talked about uh, on our show, and I know you guys watch every day. Um, we talked about oh, yeah. how I, I, <laughs> I that was very good. By the way, <laughs> um, we, we we talked about how uh, even though they're in the Eastern Conference, look at the buzz for the game. I know Bedard's not there, but the buzz for tonight's game against Chicago, who used to be their rivals, Colorado used to be their rivals, Calgary. The list goes on. Detroit going back. Toronto's their number one rival. Like, like that is the the rival for the Canucks. The team I think any Canuck fan, if they if they were to go one and eighty one, that's the team they want they want to beat at home at Rogers Arena. That was so much fun. It was a you know what? It was a great sports weekend. All the football and that hockey game was tr- tremendous. It really was, and and honestly, it's been a very long time since both these teams were good at the same time. Right, mm. because the last little while when, during the Austin Matthews era, so to speak, the Canucks have not been a very good hockey team. This year, they finally look to be one of the better teams in the league, and, and it's kind of it's nice to see them go head to head when there seemed to be a lot at stake this time, not like some previous years. Yeah, I mean, you, look, the, the Canucks have been bad when the Leafs were good, except when the Leafs were playing at Rogers Arena. Yes, that win streak against the Leafs in Vancouver, which is pretty impressive. Maybe the only impressive thing before Tuckett. Uh, before talking got in Vancouver, guys, I just I, I was around in '94. I, I just couldn't imagine if that happened again. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about the Western and the Leafs for you youngsters out there. We're in the Western Conference. If that that Western Conference final between the Leafs and Canucks, I can't imagine just how how much oh, electricity there would be in the air if mm-hmm. it happened this time around. Because I think that rivalry is a lot bigger than it was then, even though it was pretty big back then. It's just uh, there's not really an atmosphere like it, and I guess maybe Calgary and Edmonton have a have a similar thing happen when the Leafs go there, where you get the the Toronto transplants that fill up half the building or whatever it is, and you just get the competing fan bases. Like I was I was walking home over the Canby Bridge after the game, and just like hearing some of the conversations around me, it's just everybody had a good time. Whether you're a Leaf fan or Canucks fan, neutral fan, everybody was just like raring about what a great game it was and, and how incredible the atmosphere was. Like, I'd put my money that it's one of the best regular season games you could go to as a hockey fan, no matter who you support, uh, uh, anywhere in the league during the regular season. That's what I would say. Yeah, and, and look what happened at the end. I, I know not everybody's a fan of it, but the whole thing with Tyler Myers yeah. and the Canucks clinging to the, to, to the lead. and I mean, that was very old school, but, man, no, nobody left the building. It was it, it was a it was a whole lot of fun, and you're right. This this the storylines in it, the the three nothing lead, and man, the Canucks are so much better than the Leafs. And oops, no, they're not. And then <laughs> then they managed to score a couple more, you know, and, and, and pull out the win. And no, it was, and it was all sorts of talent on on display, and 
I just, I just absolutely love that game. It was, it was just a, so, so much fun. And like I say, so many stars on display. Uh, there was a lot of caring in the audience, you know, a lot of passion in the audience, you know, from both sides. And it really made, 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 made something special out of that game. Uh, please correct me if I'm wrong on this, Donnie, but we've been waiting four and a half years for Tyler Myers to show that kind of physicality. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Was, uh, if you look at that, that play at the end, and by the way, he led all Canucks in, in, in all skaters in, in uh, ice time. Uh, even though he was minus three, obviously yeah. Crockett like was like like well, he's doing uh, enough to put him out at the end. Miller later, I think it was on Marner, but he laid a cross check right at the same time. Uh, My- Myers hit Morgan Riley. It was art. Well, no, I don't think it was quite as bad, but it was pretty bad. And uh, you know, or you could you might want to say good if you're a Canuck fan. So it was something else. And man, it was you, you're right. If, if Myers played that way for the last little while, probably for the length of his contract with the, with the Canucks, maybe people think differently of him. But look, I don't think people have a problem with Tyler Myers. People have a problem with the money he's making. So, you know, there, there, I think there's a, there's a difference there. But that was that was pretty special for him to be. I mean, he's usually out there at the end. He's on, on the PK. It was, it, was, uh, it was pretty special on his part. Yeah, no, it really was. And, and overall, like, do you think the Canucks are becoming a tough team to play against? And, are, are, and I wouldn't say they're a tough hockey team, but they're certainly not a soft hockey team anymore. No, I don't think so. I think, you know, I think having Zadorov there emboldens everybody, including, including Tyler Myers, that there's more size. I, they're definitely more gritty. Um, you know, save the Kuzmenko, Mikheyev, Suter line. They're, they're, you know, even, you know, w- with, with Miller being on that first line, Besser, I always think he's underrated along the boards. Now, there's, there's, there's way more grit than there has been in the past, but it, I think it really starts with the big guys on the blue line, especially having Zadorov there. I think that's, that's, that's big, and it's, it's old school. It might be prehistoric thinking, but it still, it still really works. And I, I think as much as, as much as Rutherford and Alvin are in charge of getting talent, assembling talent, I, just listening back to what Rick Tockett had to say last year and how much he just loved uh, Vegas, and he loved the bigger, grittier teams. And it seems like, yeah, Alvin and Rutherford are the guys pulling the trigger, but they're being influenced big time by the head coach and we all know the way he played hockey when, when he was playing you know uh it, it was such an interesting game and uh you know i think it it showed some of the great parts of the canuck season where as good as the stars have been even when their form has dipped even a little bit there's been somebody else around the lineup that's stepped up to fill that void and Look, the lotto line wasn't good on Saturday. Rick Tockett called them out a little bit today again, saying they haven't been good for a few games now. We had to go over some tape this morning. So even with them not playing as well as they did when they first got back together, you have that Garland line still going. You have Nils Hoaglander being maybe the best fourth-line goal scorer in the league right now. It's just this team went from having zero depth to having some of the best depth in the league in one offseason, Donnie. Yeah, and, and you talk you're talking about having depth with not somebody they acquired, but well, especially two guys that they already had that are obviously listening to the coaching coaching staff, and that's Connor Garland and, and Nils Hoaglander, and they were there all along, and it's surprising to a lot of people that those guys have been able to step up and improve their game. And I know Hoaglander hasn't been perfect. There's been times when 
obviously, remember he was in the top six at one point earlier this season. There's obviously been times when Rick Tockett hasn't been happy with them. But on that bottom six, providing some scoring, when's the last time that happened? I mean, it's it's really, really impressive uh, right now. And again, I know they didn't play a perfect game. You know, they let, uh, probably they allowed over 40 shots. But bottom line is, uh, they won. There was a lot of edge, and it was entertaining. And there's a reason to come to the arena. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's been such a great year in terms of entertainment because this team is not only winning games, they're doing so in style. They have, they have so much offensive flair, and it seems like they've taken that to the next level with a lot of line getting back together. And like Dan mentioned, still maybe the coach wants a bit more out of them. But obviously, their, their big key to success has obviously, to me, been how they played as a team defensively too. But losing Carson Soucy, I, I think, yeah. you know, it's big, but at the same time, getting Zadorov I think gives you a bit more depth. But... I think we've all been really impressed with Carson Soucy. And to me, Don, like he's been a far better player than I thought he would be. Yeah. I, I, you know, um, we have Ian Furness from Seattle uh, Radio, KJR Radio. And when the Canucks acquired Soucy, he's, he's, I don't want to, I'll paraphrase here, but he's kind of great. You can have, you know, it wasn't like he, he didn't feel it was a big loss, even though he was part of a team that surprised everybody in Seattle that made the playoffs last year. But I, I you know, I, and he's been in Minnesota. He's bounced around a bit. Uh, I, I think he's been really good, really steady. Like the, I, I don't know if some talent out there, which is which is really good for a defenseman. You know, this side of Bobby Orr, who gets noticed in, in positive ways back in the day. But no, he's he's been <laughs> right. good. And, and then and then you know the other thing too. You know, Juleson is going to draw in. Help me, guys. I've, I've just been out walking my dog. So last time I looked, it was going to be Juleson coming in. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I think I, I think what uh, Rick talking from what he says. Uh, He's a fan of, even though the defense has been pretty good, uh, he, I think he's a fan of lefty-righty. Those, those types of combinations versus someone playing on their wrong side. So, Juleson gives them that, and and he's gone on about Juleson, and I think he has a hard time sitting him out. So, yeah, it's, it's the, the, the depth really seems to be there. And when you're talking about a team that's that looks like it's headed to the playoffs, I hate, you know, I don't, I don't want to jinx them by any means, but I think I'm pretty safe in saying that. Depth is so important. I mean, you lose you lose defensemen, which always seems to be the case in the playoffs. And if you've got somebody to to, to slot in there, it's really important. I know uh, you and Rick were talking about it today on on Donnie and Dolly. Uh, you know, Elliot and Jeff, Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick are talking about it on Thirty Two Thoughts. Everybody's talking about it. Canucks are going to be all in. How do you feel about uh, this Canucks team going all in on this season now, Donnie? Well, when you say all in, you got to give up something. And we yeah. actually asked today, our poll question was something to the effect of, is Nils Holglander untouchable? Coming off the big game that he had, and, uh, <laughs> I believe it was, it, was, it was closer than you might think. It was like 60-40. Yeah, he is un- un- untouchable. And keeping in mind that it's coming off a really, really memorable game for him, one of the best of his, his career. If you're going to get something, you've got to give up something, and something valuable. And obviously, you, you hear people text into your show and our show, all the shows in Vancouver. Well, Kuzmenko, yeah, let's go Kuzmenko for Lindholm. I say, you know, come on, just stop it right now. And, and it's just not going to happen. Yeah, the Canucks would love that. It's, it's not going to happen. Um, I, I just wonder with with the contracts. We don't know about Pedersen's contract. Do, do, do Rutherford and uh, Alvin feel this is it. They have to jump right now. Uh, then again, you have the uh, Rutherford extension, so you wonder if that means they believe there's you know th- there's time here and they believe in this team long long term. But 
I don't know. I, I, I just think that it seems really special this year, and I wouldn't be surprised if they made a big move. And as far as Hoaglander is concerned, I mean, I think the reality is they have to drop somebody off the roster to add somebody to the roster, and maybe Hoaglander isn't enough, but like, I just can't imagine this front office would view him as an untouchable. I just think it would have to be a player that would, I mean, would they do it for a rental? I, I'm not, not, would they, do you think they'd do it for a rental, Niels Hoaglander? Yeah, because, you know, guys, that I think we talked about this last week or the week before is, do you bring somebody in and mess with, with the chemistry that really seems special right now? And how often does it work when a team when a team reworks its roster at the deadline? And the best example recently is what, what Boston did last year, where they, they lost in the first round after making a couple of major moves at the deadline and kind of messing with things a bit. It, it, it didn't work out. So, uh, you know, or do you maybe is, is standing pat an option? But we also remember in the article by Ian uh, McIntyre in sportsnet.ca last week saying he owes it to the team. So, again, I'm paraphrasing. Owes it to the team to be aggressive. That means, that means going out, getting a player, and showing his belief in the, uh, in, in the roster, in this team uh, right now. It's just going to be, so what are we, six weeks away? It's just going to be so interesting. And the other thing that, we can look forward to, I think, as I go off the rails here, as I often do. But uh, is you know, Jim Rutherford has that history of moving before anybody else does. He, he it won't be six weeks, given his history. Uh, him and Alvin, I wouldn't be surprised if they made a move sooner rather than later, which probably means they're going to pay more. Yeah, and you know the the, the two names, obviously Elias Lindholm and uh, and Jake Gensel come to mind, and. You know, the, the more this season plays out, the more the success continues. And they have, I know Susie's injured right now, but they've had relative health for most of the year. You have the uncertainty of what's going to happen with Elias Pettersson beyond this season, even if it's still more probable than not that he remains a Vancouver Canuck. I, like, it just doesn't feel like you can pass up opportunities like this when, when you're going as good as things are right now for, for the Canucks. It's... It's hard to be like, yeah, we like where we are, but you know, we want we want to make sure we're good for the next three, four years. It's like, of course, but you don't know if you'll ever have as good a spot as you're in right now. I know it's really tough. I, you know, I, you know, I, I, if, if I'm Rutherford, I, 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 I would hope he gets a real, you know, I'm not that I'm feeling sorry for the guy. He's probably okay before he came here, but that's why they pay these guys the big bucks. That's a tough decision because it just so easily leads to criticism, especially in this market. But you're right. Is this is this a one-off? Is this does he does he believe that this team can? I would you'd have to think he he does. But realistically, does he believe they could do it again and again and again? Did he sign that extension thinking? Was that his thinking when he signed the extension? I don't know. It's 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 just so tough. But uh, it sure is fun. Enjoy it. And I my gut is that I think they read the market fairly well. These guys, I think they go for it and they make a move. Yeah, I think so too. I think we'll see them do something, and, and I think it's it's exciting for us to be talking about the team being buyers of the deadline instead of sellers. Something we've been talking yeah. about so much over the past few years. But I think one thing that that they're getting too is incredible offensive performances from a lot of their top guys. And I just get you know I'm just kind of startled at the numbers these guys are putting up. We know Quinn Hughes, of course, but even Pedersen and Miller. They're the fastest duo to get to 60 points in Canucks history, doing it in 46 games versus 48 for the Sedins. I mean, what 
JT and Pedersen are doing offensively this year is essentially matching some of the highest peaks of any offensive players in this organization, especially two at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you, you, you throw Hughes into the mix, and it really seems like something special. And has anybody mentioned JT Miller's contract at the, in the last, you know, several months? No. At all? I mean, it's just, he's just, he's been so consistent and so good and so important. Face-offs, PK, power play, just he's such a driver of the play. He is, he's been really good. It really is special. And then you, you mentioned, I wasn't aware of those numbers with the Sedin sat. That um, just really just seems really special right now. And, and guys, we, we talk about Miller. We talk about Hughes and Pedersen and, and certainly Besser as well. But, man, I'm telling you, and I know Demko didn't have the perfect night the other night, but they did get outshot. He's just, uh, he's just he, he really is special in a really strangely quiet way. I think I, I think if the Canucks were worse, you know, if, if their point total wasn't so so high right now, we'd be talking a lot more about him. But, and, and, you know, and plus they're scoring goals. But, man, he's important. He's just, uh, I just think he, he just exudes confidence and it, it, it seeps into the rest of the roster. Before we let you go, Donnie, uh, how much in common do Canucks fans have with Bills fans? Oh, gosh. I don't that That wide right. I mean... It was tough the, watching that yesterday. Yeah, it was, and like I'm not, I'm not by any means a, a, a Bills fan. I was yeah. rooting for them in that. I and I'm, and I'm feel the same way about the Detroit Lions, just because uh, you know I'm an older guy and I haven't seen those two teams win. And in fact, I, I really have to say it's got to be tougher to be a Bills fan than a Canucks fan. And Canucks fans don't get upset with me, but have the Canucks lost four straight Stanley Cup Finals? I I, I don't think so. And, you know, we're talking about field goals in the case of, you know, Scott Norwood and with Tyler Bass yesterday, you know, field goals within, within 50 yards, less than 50 yards. You know, and, and look, the, the difference with the field goal yesterday is there still was time to play and it would have, you know, uh, maybe just led to an overtime that Kansas City won. But just to have it go wide right again, it's just, it's just so sad. And, uh, you know, I know Harold Snepps in the giveaway in, in 82. I, I hate to bring it up in the Lafayette goalpost, but I just don't think there's anything that compares to that and losing four straight Super Bowls. It's just wonderful to get there, to be an AFC champion, I'm sure. But to lose all four Super Bowls is, is pretty tough. They put up the graphic right before he stood up to take the kick, like nine for nine from this range, and I was just like, oh, this is not going to go well. Law of averages. Yeah. Uh, Donnie, you're always a treat. Thanks for this today. Always fun, guys. Thanks so much. There he is, Don Taylor, uh, putting up with the uh, noise in the background here at Rogers Arena. We're in the mobile Kintech studio. Canucks and Chicago Blackhawks tonight. I don't, like... It's tough, man. To, I, I was shedding a, a single solitary tear for the Buffalo Bills last night. Yeah. No? Yeah, no. I mean, Wide I'm, right? I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm a Browns fan. I'm so like, that's just like schadenfreude. No, no I'm good. I, and listen, I'm a Browns fan, and uh, there's been far more misery uh, for, for Browns fans. At least, like, this is a team losing in the playoffs. Right. Like, my team has been, like, not even getting to the playoffs <laughs> for, for, like, the past three decades. You so, know how many bad quarterbacks I had to sit through? Yeah. So, I mean... Same with the Bills. Cry me a river a little bit, but obviously heartbreaking. For yes. sure, obviously. Uh, I mean... Pretty I good football game yesterday. It was a great game. Uh, between those two, for sure. And uh, now the uh, championship weekend is... Set. All right, we'll continue on the Canucks discussion. Maybe get in on Corey Perry joining the Edmonton Oilers as well. That becoming official earlier today. 
But a couple of things we're going to touch in on with Vancouver. The PK, it's been a lot better. And the bottom six, how much of an advantage is it now for this team? We'll discuss that and more, plus your texts, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox as we get to the second hour of Canuck Central on Sportsnet 650. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Vic Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hour number two, Canuck Central this hour, brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry. Go to lp.brevo.com slash Canada for a smart demonstration. Uh, lots coming in on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. 650-650. If you have a question, comment, we'll get to uh, a bunch of those during this hour of the program as uh, we get ready for the Canucks and the Chicago Blackhawks to come here at Rogers Arena. We are in the mobile Kintech studio getting ready for tonight's matchup. And um, you know, we were mentioning just how good the Canucks' bottom six has been, Sat. Mm-hmm. And the NHL leaders in goal per six, goals per 60 at 5-on-5, five five, minimum 100 minutes, Austin Matthews, who leads the league in goals. Yeah. Uh, former Canuck legend, Michael Carcone, and uh, he's in number two. Yes. Uh, Nils Hoaglander happens to be number three. Robbie Fabry and Zach Hyman are the top five. So Nils Hoaglander, this deep into the season, 44 games played, averaging fewer than 11 minutes per night, 10.43 to be exact, and is still one of the most efficient goal scorers in the National Hockey League. Yeah, it's been a tremendous season for him, right? And uh, the numbers, as eye-popping as they are, are a byproduct of the minutes being lower, too, right? And I think you could also say if he played more, maybe he would score more, considering <laughs> how he's played so far. But he's, he's more than crushed his responsibility in his role. The question is, what is he now? How, is he taking a step? Like, how, how much of this goal production is sticky? Clearly, he's... Yeah. He's, he's shooting at a high percentage. Things are going in for him right now. But has he figured it out, so to speak, as an NHL player? I would still say there is not a long road ahead, but like a decent-sized road ahead for him mm-hmm. to to being like a top-six contributor. He's really established himself as uh, a benefit, right? Um I'd say, you know, Daniel Sprong has sort of gotten love in, in this sort of vein the last couple of years, what he did for Seattle yeah. last year and what he's doing for, for Detroit this year, similar things, you know, just plays bottom six minutes and scores a bunch of goals. And Nils Hoaglander has established himself as that. He bumped up to the, the line with Miller and Besser mm-hmm. earlier in the year, had a little bit of success, but then it started to wane. We haven't really seen him get a ton of power play opportunity. I think, and... Rick Tockett hasn't said this publicly, but as I read the tea leaves, the idea is he's crushing this role right now, and he's still learning some of the things he needs to do away from the puck to succeed in a larger role. So let's keep him learning, keep him having success in the role we're giving him right now, and as time goes on, we can see if we can progress him further up the lineup. But I think 
the way he's playing right now is just it's gravy right now for the Canucks. Yeah, and right now, I mean, what's playing him up the lineup? Would you rather have him play with uh, Suter and say Mikheyev, or just stay with Lafferty? With oh, it's the, perfect the way it is, right? Right. Now. So it's like it, I don't know if there's a lot separating that. And then if they move Pedersen off the lotto line, or let's say they split the lotto line up. And they, they acquire Elias Lindholm, and then they split up the lotto line. Yeah, okay. Okay, now maybe you start looking at <laughs> trying something. Who knows, yeah. right? But I, I still think where he's at is the best place for him, and he's part of. He's still going through that progression. And I think the big key to success in many ways for so many players on this team isn't just that they're having career years because they're playing. It's because they're playing in the types of roles where they can be the best versions of themselves, where they can truly flourish without being asked too much, but mm-hmm. also being given some real tangible responsibility and role that they can truly own. And they have. And Hoaglander's a great example of it. Sam Lafferty's another one. Niels Oman even, I think, recently is playing a lot better. His forechecking is tremendous. His, his pace is very noticeable. He does. He's one of the faster players on the team. He doesn't really stand out because he's so long, but he's really efficient with how he gets in on the forecheck. He's made some good plays offensively, too, in recent games. But Look at Pew Suter, how he's played, for instance, right? And we can you know, talk all day about Beluger, Garland, uh, and Joshua. Yes. I almost forgot Dakota Joshua's <laughs> name. But, I mean, we talk about them all day. But those, like Lafferty especially, like even Niels Oman and Hoaglander and these guys, I mean, these are all players who aren't playing big roles, but they play important roles, and they're crushing them. And it's become a real advantage now for this team. The bottom six has won them a lot of games over the last couple of months, right? During December, how much do we talk about Patterson maybe not having the same effectiveness that he was having early in the season? We started to see Miller and Besser not have as much success through parts of December as well. The power play stopped producing mm-hmm. at the elite rate that it was going with for the first six weeks of the NHL season. Well, how did they make up some of those losses? It's with the Bluger line. It's with, you know, Nils Hoaglander continuing to score in the bottom six. Yeah. And you know, that's not something you could say about this team in prior years. Saturday's game against the Leafs was a perfect example. I mean, the first period is the top two lines are kind of a wash, right? The Matthews line maybe had more success against the Lotto line, but it didn't result in any goals yeah. in that first period. And then the Canucks' bottom six just totally dominated like the Leafs couldn't get out of their own end in the first period when the two bottom six lines were matching up and I think that depth is something that is underrated and when I look you know Vegas and and LA are maybe exceptions but there's not a lot of teams that have that kind of depth through their entire forward group and defense in the league no they, they don't right and it's it's something that has been somewhat surprising because Hoaglander had showed some goal-scoring ability in his rookie season, but then since then it kind of waned, and it was like, what is he? Is he a playmaker? Is he a goal scorer? And, you know, like somebody texted in, are you guys not worried about him shooting 24%? I mean, not worried, but it's going to come down. It's the same discussion we had around last year with Andre Kuzmenko. Oh, man, I don't know. I was getting crushed for saying Andre <laughs> Kuzmenko wasn't going to reach 30 goals this year, and uh, people, They're so people mad were you. not happy no, about it. But, but you were right about that, obviously, but then also the shooting percentage. stuff. Like you shot 29%. You shoot that high, it's going to come 
down the next yes. year. So how much of Hogneider's goal scoring is sticky? Like even, um, you know, uh, Lafferty, for instance, I mean, all these guys are shooting at a high percentage, right? Lafferty's shooting thir- uh, 20%. You have Teddy Bluger shooting 10%, which isn't super high, but Dakota Joshua is shooting at 22%, right? And Brock Besser, who has a ton of goals at 21%. Then this stuff's going to come down. It's gonna, how much of Hoaglander is sticky? And I think that's the bigger question. But I do think what he's showing is how he's scoring goals. He's going to tough areas. He's banging in rebounds. The way he scored his goal, the two goals, both of them. I mean, if you're going to be sniping it yep. top corner like he did, you can score goals, right? Yep. And then he battles in front and bangs the puck in. To me, that's sticky. So maybe he's not going to score 25-30 next season. But is he going to be a bona fide 15-20 to 20 goal scorer potentially? If he's going to play the way he does, yeah. he can, right? And this is a year where all these guys aren't just playing well. They're really exploding. Maybe that comes down to earth a little bit. But I, I do think how they're playing and how their effectiveness goes beyond the shooting percentage. And in terms of how they can control play as a line, that more than anything is going to matter in the postseason. There will yeah. be some low-scoring games in the playoffs, and you can't expect these guys to score as much as they've scored in the regular season in the playoffs. But can they more than hold their own as a line? I think the answer to that is yes. It's uh – it, it is impressive, and it comes down to the connectivity. Yeah. Um, as, as Rick Tockett likes to say, they're, they're connected. And when he talks about the Joshua, Garland, and, and Bluger line, we really need to give it a, a name so that we don't have to spell out their names every single time we talk about them. Yeah, we have a lot of different uh, messages. Uh, you know, the, the JBC line is something that people are pushing, <laughs> yes. Junior Bacon Cheeseburger. Uh, the Garland line. I, I didn't know Rick Tockett was a student of Dutch total football, but he was talking about those three playing in triangles, and that's why they have success. Man, honestly, this, <laughs> it's funny because you look at soccer and hockey and say they're not alike at all, but in yes. many ways they are. And if you're trying to create space for yourself and connectivity, there's some soccer principles that make a lot of sense. Like yes. we talk about overlaps, and yes. we see it sometimes, but it's playing as a triangle. Or in, in soccer, they, they do the box. Yeah. You know, they try to do the box. or But still, like, yeah, you're... You're trying to get guys connected within space and then using that to create more space against an opponent. And uh, the, the triangle is essentially like when they're connected in the offensive zone, you can kind of see a triangle when you yeah. draw lines between the three players. Like Bluger and, Gar- Bluger and Joshua will be below the goal line, close together. There's the base of your triangle. And then Garland's sitting up there somewhere around the hash marks waiting for a pass out front. He's the top of your triangle, right? And you create those little sequences in the game as often as you can, and you'll be able to find passes and connectivity, as Rick Tockett would say. Well, and that's why that line's been the the, the staple line, so to speak, right? Because they they do everything that the coach wants. And the beauty of it is all three players are decent at zone entries, but that's where Garland really excels. And it's like he can get the puck in, dump it in, Bluger and Joshua win it. He gets into the position, but he can win as well. I mean, and the thing about it is all three guys can do the same role if need be, and, and they understand their responsibilities when they're in different positions. Like they know what to do when they're F1, F2, and F3. Yep. And I think that goes a long way as well. And that's why, you know, something that JT spoke about when he said, you know, when him and Pedersen are playing together, it's not so much about who's playing center, who's playing wing. It's more about recognizing what you have to do depending on how the game is going and how a shift is unfolding. And that is, I think, one of the real keys here to that line and how they play and why the coach always mentions you got to forecheck about Kuzmenko. It's like, because there'll be inevitably you'll be in positions where you have to forecheck. 
Yeah. You can't always be the guy that's going to be hanging out free uh, to get the puck as other guys are digging it out for you, right? You can't just wait for that to yeah. be your responsibility. Like You have to attack the game. And that's why that line is having so much success. Like Garland, when he has to, dives in and, and, and wins the puck. Same thing for Bluger, same thing for Joshua. When they got to go down the middle, each guy does it. And that's a big reason why they're having this success. And uh, that success has been contagious for that line. Uh, I know we talked more about the... Uh trade discussion earlier in the show, which you can go and find on podcast now, but would you be reluctant to move a roster player from the bottom six in order to facilitate <sighs> a trade for a top six player? I mean, I know people will be upset. I mean, I, I would still move Hoaglander in the right deal. Yeah. You know, like, and I'm not saying for a rental. I'm saying, like, if you can get somebody who can be here longer term, I wouldn't be against doing that. But outside of him... Um, I think, like, a Lafferty, the role he plays in the playoffs, the size he has, he's a right-handed guy, can win face-offs. Like, you can't, you, you literally can't get rid of him, right? Uh, Niels Oman, I suppose. But, I mean, what's this, like, there's no value there, I don't think. Or at least not the type of tangible trade value where you're getting a high-end player. Like, I don't think... Hasn't are, showed a ton of offensive yeah. pop in his NHL game. He's a nice player. I'm sure he has value. But he's not the type of player that comes to mind if you're big game hunting for yeah. top-end type of player, right? Well, I mean, and we just went over Garland, Joshua, and Bluger. Why would you mess with that? Suter's been such a nice fit. I think he's, I want to say, I think Expose is unfair, but I, I don't think he's a top six center. Yeah. And you're seeing that, and you know, where well, he's playing with McCabe, Kuzmenko at times. Like, like, this is why the Canucks need a top six forward, precisely. though, because they don't really have a second line. They don't, exactly. But he's really good at playing up and down your lineup. He's versatile. Yeah. Um, I love his addition to the team. But he can't be your full-time top six. But yeah. if he goes down and he plays a regular role, so to speak, he's going to be fantastic, right? And that's not a guy you're looking to move. It comes down to Mikheyev or Chris Menko, right? Yeah. Um, they're not bottom six, really. You're talking higher up the lineup. They're getting paid a lot more money. And, you know, people are you know wondering about Mikheyev. They think he struggled lately. And, yeah, he hasn't been as, as impactful. But he plays to the staples, right, yeah. unlike Kuzmenko at times. So in the bottom six, that's the only guy that I look at and say, okay, Hoaglander. Everybody else, like you kind of need them for their roles. Not to say you don't need Hoaglander, but let's say you're getting Joel Erickson. Again, I'm just you know mentioning yeah. the name. He's not out there, and, and they want Hoaglander in it. It's like, well, yeah. Yeah. And there's been a lot of discussion. I know uh, we've talked about it in the past. Rick Dollywell reiterated it today. Calgary may have some interest in Nils Hoaglander. So. <laughs> well, of course. Of course they would. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of teams looking at Nils Hoaglander. Like I just started the segment with, he's top five in goals per 60. Who wouldn't want that guy who's making – 22-year-old player who's making a million for next year as well like coming into their lineup, we right? spoke. We spoke about this earlier this season when there was some buzz around did or didn't Vancouver talk to Calgary about defensemen? Obviously Zadorov, right. but did they also speak about Tanev and go through the possibilities? And Hoaglander was definitely a player Calgary wanted back then. You know, yeah. I think we talked about it then, and you know, for everything that I heard, you know, whether and again, I don't know how far it went. I just know that Calgary was very, very high on Niels Hoaglander, right? right. Is again, like. I don't know if I love trading him for a rental. Yep. Because I think the way he's played, if I'm moving him, I want something more tangible that can stay long term. But as we outline, like you're not going to be able it, to. The Canucks cannot trade for Lindholm straight up, even if Calgary holds up, uh, uh, retains half the salary. But if they include Hoaglander, they can make the deal. So you yeah. can do that if you wanted to. I just, I just don't like the idea of trading him for a rental. I'm not sure if the Canucks were to acquire Lindholm, if he would end up being just a rental. I think they would probably want to get an extension done with a player like that should they go and acquire him. The issue the Canucks will have if they do something like that is 
Pedersen still remains their top priority. So if you bring in a Lindholm or a Gensel, it's kind of hard to talk contract extension until you figure out what exactly is going to happen with Elias Pedersen in that scenario. Uh, all right. You talked about Ilya Mikheyev. We talked about Carson Soucy and his injury earlier in the, in the show. But, you know, one of the things I keep saying about Mikheyev is he's starting to earn a little bit more PK time. And mm-hmm. I don't know if they're ramping him up as the season goes along. I've noticed that his burst seems to be back or coming back. Still, it's still only happened in bursts <laughs> as uh, the seasons come along here. But in general, the PKs started to be really good. Um, numbers that you've provided in our rundown for today up to 79.9 percent for the season 17th best in the league last 23 games 83.6 percent that would be seventh and the last 13 games they're third in the league just a shade under 90 percent what's working with the pk uh everything is working with the pk I, i think a big part of it is um obviously getting players to kind of get into I'd say get into shape on the PK uh, and, and, and kind of finally figuring out what to do and what roles to play. And I, do, and I do think it's been a progression. Earlier this season, it really struggled. But I think it's at a point now where the forwards, the duos, they have chemistry. The defensemen, you have a good uh, quality. You have a number of quality defensemen that are good on the PK. The goalies are making saves, of course. Of course but they very seldom give up the seam pass. You know, And, and the other thing that they, they do a really good job of is forcing players to take shots from the outside as opposed to trying to attack space. Like Dakota Joshua with his ranginess and his length and Neil Zolman, same thing. They do such a great job of, of forcing um, the, the, the penalty killers out wider with how they kind of attack out towards them, which leads to more shots from distance. And we know that Demko, for the most part, and Casey DeSmith, are going to swallow those up. And I think they've done a really good job of essentially creating that the last little bit. And I do think by the end of the season, like we're going to talk about this PK being a strength of this team. It's uh, it, it's come a long way, and I think really establishing who the guys are has helped. Yeah, um, we've seen Nils Oman really take uh, a, a role on the PK. Obviously, Teddy Bluger has relieved JT Miller and Elias Pettersson of some of their PKing duties when you know it was those two guys first first ones over the boards yeah. a lot of the time the last couple of years. So. You've taken that, and they found players that can take that away from them. It saves them for other parts of the game. And generally, you know, like, I love JT Miller as a player. I don't think penalty killing is one of his great strengths. Uh, no, I mean, we had him on post game uh, against Toronto, and he even, we asked about the success on the PK. He's like, well, he, he, he joked about how it coincides with him no longer being on the PK, essentially. Yeah. So he's very well aware, <laughs> you know. He's well aware that uh, he's not the best PKer uh, on the team. And so there, there's been some success there. And, you know, just little things, you know, getting your stick into passing lanes, blocking more shots. Well, their, act, their sticks have been so active, I and mean, even five on five, but they contest everything. Yeah. They do such a great job of taking lanes away, but as soon as they're within distance, they're, they're stick checking. Yeah, it was funny. I was, I was, so I was looking through some of the numbers today. And I was trying to figure out, because we were going to talk about Carson Soucy, right? And Carson Soucy's PK numbers are some of the best on the team. I think he's top 30 in the league in uh, goals against per 60 on the PK. You know, they don't, like, 
um, when he's on the ice, the PK doesn't give up a ton of shots, shot yeah. attempts, or anything like that. So they suppress shots when he's on the ice for the PK. And as I was looking at this, it's like, oh, he's, so he's like top five amongst all defensemen in the league. And you know who's like number one in per rate statistics? Noah Juleson? Oliver Ekman Larson. OEL is, oh wow. I couldn't even believe it. This guy would flamingo every time the penalty kill went over the boards last year. <laughs> well, is a Couldn't block a shot to save his life, and now he's one of the best PKers in the league because he's gone over to Florida. Funny I don't know. how that. Funny how that works. All of a sudden, some sunshine changes Just the life. Just dragging people, right? Oliver Ekman Larson around. That's, but incre- that's incredible. He's had, he's had a really good year for Florida. I actually expected you to say Noah Juleson because Noah Juleson's uh, yeah. been good on the PK or decent on the PK. He's blocking a ton of shots on the PK. His numbers, his metrics on the PK are actually very good. Now, I don't know if he's as good as the numbers indicate half yes. the time, but he has been good on the peak. So, to that point, yes, so Susie's been incredible. Losing him sucks. At least you can bring somebody else in who's not quite as good as he is, but has shown that that's a strength of his game and Noah Juleson into the lineup. And so, you know, as you look at ramping up towards the playoffs, you know, the Canucks, at 5-on-5, five five, they've gotten better as the season's gone on. The PK is getting better as the season's going on. We think they're going to add to the team, so talent-wise, they should be stronger by the time the playoffs come around. And the only thing that's sort of falling behind, although it's gotten a little bit better in this past week and certainly looked great against Toronto on Saturday, won them the game, the power play, which has been cold for a little bit. It's like it's the most well-rounded Canucks team we've seen in a long time with the way things are trending as the season's going going along. Yeah, and I mean, the power play scored a couple goals, a couple of incredible passes um, on it's the like a carbon play. copy. The two goals were almost identical. Yeah, I mean, just and great they created all that. Suter's not a full time power play one guy, right? And as long as Kuzmenko's struggling, that's going to be like I don't know if we we're going to get close to seeing the best version of the power play until they figure out who, who the best five players are and whether the fifth player is not on this roster right now. It should be Kuzmenko, but the way his confidence has just deteriorated his game. I mean. They can't even use him as a power play specialist with the way that he's gone lately. No, and, and listen, the power play hasn't been great, but over that same stretch, the last 13 games, the Canucks power play has been clicking at 20%, 21%. It's not great, astronomical, but it's like 16th in the league, but you're still scoring a one, one out of five power plays, right? Yeah. If they get clicking, we know how good they can be. I'm just not sure we're going to see the best version of it until they figure out who the fifth guy is. Right. And I'm not sure that guy's on the roster right now until Kuzmenko gets some confidence back. And maybe that happens tonight, and maybe he gets close to it or whatever. But until that happens, because like, Hironik's not going to be the solution there. Suter's, you know, like he's, they, he's not a power after, play one After guy. Kuzmenko, they, they, don't have a, they don't have a proper solution. Like, they don't have it. They have plug-in options, but they don't have... A real solution. Yeah. So even with Suter there right now, it's kind of just like, well, you're buying time until they give Kuzmenko a chance to get that spot back or uh, somebody else is brought into this organization and they use that player on the penalty kill, whether it's uh, obviously Jake Gensel or Elias Lindholm, as we've talked about all day long. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Gensel on the power play, I think, would be interesting. Lindholm um, could also help on it, but... I think that's going to be the the biggest question mark, and so because it's so closely related to adding another player, yeah. Until Kuzmenko figures it out, but it's kind of like it's funny. We're talking about problems for the power play. Mm-hmm. They scored two goals the last game. They're still clicking at a respectable rate, and the team is number one in the Western Conference in points. So it's like, you know, we're we're, we're literally trying to figure out can they get everything going at the same time, which is what you need to have going for you to you know be a cup contender, and that's a conversation we're having this year, which is pretty remarkable. Um. 
A lot of uh, texts coming in. Uh, we'll get to a couple here before uh, we hit the break. Kurt, Kurt in North Van. Love the conversation. How about trading Joshua and moving Hoaglander to the Garland line? Uh, I don't know who would... Uh, Dakota Joshua's been an unreal find for this team. Last year, and now this year, after the tough start, the thing with Joshua that makes him, I mean, just not even a, an idea of trading away right now, like, how do you replace his size and PKing ability? Yeah. Like, he's one of the foremost PKers on this team, and he's really good at it. Well, he's the type of player you want more of. Like, yes. You're not trying, those are the types of players you're trying to add to the deadline. I move at a deadline, right? And I think for Dakota Joshua, there's no way you're looking to move him. Like, for instance, what are the odds that Niels Hoaglander gets healthy scratched in a playoff game? What's the odds that Andre Kuzmenko gets healthy scratched in a playoff game? Higher than it would be for Dakota Joshua. Right. And that's that's really it. And I, I get the whole, like, sell high. You know, he's an unrestricted free agent. He's having such a great year. Like, you can sell high on this player. You need that player for the playoffs. Um, and it would be very hard to replace, as as previously mentioned. Not that, you know, Nils Hoaglander's goals wouldn't be hard to replace for this team, but, um, you know, he plays less than 11 minutes a night, and he's not a special teams contributor, as Dakota Joshua is. No, exactly. And people are asking Kurt and others, why not try Hoaglander on Power Play 1? I think if you're trying Suter, I'm not against trying Hoaglander. Yeah. Like, if you're there with Suter, then I don't mind you trying Hoaglander. I think the one part of Hoaglander on the power play and why it hasn't really been a thing so much this year is just, like, they're, they don't want to feed him too much, like, yeah. in terms of, like, what we need you to do and just, like, yeah, baby steps. Let's keep building your game up. They've said, you know, Rick Tockett has mentioned how much he's been in the video room and things like this. So I, I wonder if it's sort of a strategic thing on how much – they want to put on Hoaglander's plate at one time. Uh, so that that might be it. Uh, this text from Rager, Dakota Joshua's our Tanner Janot. I guess that's, uh, that's a pretty good way of putting it. And that's not bad. He cost, like, what, 17 draft picks for the Tampa Bay Lightning last year? Yeah. Something like that. More than Ricky Williams. <laughs> <laughs> it's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Canuck Central on Sportsnet 650.